Amen. How many of you guys just love the summer season? Anybody? Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes summer gets crazy. In fact, we, we are like, we have a moment in our schedules where we can shove more in, so we do more instead of just calming down and slowing down. Like, I do love summer. Y'all know I hate the heat. Shasta, I am praying for you. The surface of the sun is bad here. It can be worse there. But, but here's the truth of the matter is sometimes in the summer, we get moving so fast, we miss a moment to pause. We miss a moment to slow down because there's less on our plate, and so let's not just shove more in. And I'm so excited for the summer, specifically for this summer series we're stepping into today. We're going to be looking at the life of Joseph. We're going to be celebrating God's faithfulness to us, personally, corporately, for his glory, for your good, for the good of people that you don't even know yet, God's faithfulness. And so I want to pause this morning as we kick off the series to kind of look back, to remember where we've come from. In fact, it was in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 7 that God had told the people of God, the followers of Yahweh, hey, set up stones of remembrance. We call them Ebenezer's. Because the truth of the matter is, we talk about this regularly at Vintage, that every one of us is either in a gap, we're stepping into a gap, or we're coming out of a gap. And that gaps is this moment where God has allowed suffering, pain, struggles for you and for me, but we know, Vintage, that God wastes what? Nothing. He wastes nothing. That God uses sufferings, he uses gaps. In fact, today we're discovering a new word for gaps. It's called pits. Anybody in the, in the middle of a pit right now? that God uses when you're down in the pits for his glory, for your good, for people's good, and for his purposes. And that allows us to pause, to look at patterns of provision that God is good all the time, and what? And we know that can't just be words that we say, but it has to be words on our heart. I wanna invite you to just pause for a moment and remember that. Pull out your cell phones. I know often it's like, put your phones away, you're in church. So pull out your phone, I'm asking you to, please. And I want you just to start to scroll through your pictures. Just start scrolling right now and look at the moments, because in theory, pictures are as a time when someone or your four-year-old grabbed your phone and said, this is a moment I want to capture. Start looking through your pictures. You see some moments there? Anyone laughing at yourself? You start to look back. One of the things I recognize in my pictures is I was a smaller human this time last year. And so sometimes you see moments that are good, right? That you're excited about. You're like, this was awesome. I'm so glad they stole my phone and took a picture. Other times you're like, I'm so mad that they stole my phone and took a picture. Because it shows a moment. Maybe it shows a gap. Maybe it shows a memory that you look back and you're like, I don't like that memory. I don't like when we were in the hospital. I don't like when we were on the lake and our boat blew up. That was last Saturday, right? Like you capture these memories and these moments, but I think it's important because what we see when we pause, when we scroll through our pictures, is we see memories that matter. They matter to us at the moment. They definitely matter to God. They're potentially gaps where God is using them and working in them. And I'm curious, you've seen those kind of things that happen on social media, like what would you tell your younger self at that moment? What would you tell your younger self at that moment? Like, I, I practiced this this last week and I saw all sorts of pictures. Here's one of my favorite pictures. What would I tell myself as a little baby? Well, what would I talk to myself there? Like, I, honestly, I would be like, Drew, that was a rough season of life. <laughs> like, being a baby's hard, true? Like, you're speaking and nobody's listening. You're telling everybody, my diaper's full and you all don't pay attention to me, right? You're not in control. And I would tell myself as a baby, man, just have fun. Base camp was awesome. Like, just have fun. That's part of what it means to be a kid. Have fun and learn what it means to be faithful. And maybe learn how to change yourself, and then you don't have to be mad at people when they don't change you, right? That's what I would tell my younger self. Or what about junior high? You remember junior high pictures? 
Like, I still don't know, was I supposed to button the polo to the top or not? I still don't know. And like, who told me that the part down the middle was cool? I mean, now we're old enough that it's kind of coming back, so maybe it is cool again. Maybe it was never cool and no one told me. I would tell my junior high self, hey, Drew, you're so consumed with sports, the one thing you need to remember, be the first one in the gym and the last one to leave. That's what I would tell my younger self. You're creating habits right now, muscle memory. You're creating patterns. You're actually developing and forming your faith. That's what you're doing in junior high. You're deciding what actually makes you happy and what you're gonna give your time, your talent, your treasure to. I would tell myself that that muscle memory matters, thankfully, a lot more than your self-image because clearly you don't care about it. I tell myself to stop caring about it in high school. That's what I would do. Anyone remember their senior picture? I would tell myself to not listen to the photographer that said you should pose like this. No, because I'm going to use it in a sermon and I'm going to be embarrassed. I would tell myself that puka shells are not cool. And bleach tips, come on, y'all are laughing at yourself, right? You're not laughing at me, you're laughing with me, right? I would tell myself, because it was in, in my senior year of high school that my dad reminded me, Drew, the thing that matters most is relationships who you're investing in. I interpreted that as my wife. And so at 17, I was looking for a wife. If that's you guys, chill. I would tell myself at 17, God has a plan that's better than you do for your wife. In fact, I love that we spent thousands of dollars at our wedding on a photographer. And the best picture I have is from one of my youth leaders. I was a youth pastor from my youth leaders that just took it when we were not taking pictures. I would tell myself at my wedding day, Drew, your marriage is for the gospel. That the primary way that you're gonna experience God's grace and his love and his mercy, which you need more than you know, is gonna be through your wife. That not only will you experience the love of God, but you will express the love of God. One of the best things I can offer you as a pastor is my broken marriage, because it was broken that day that I joined it. I would tell myself that the gospel is what the marriage is really about, that it's for his glory, for my good, my family's good, and someday my church is good. I would tell myself as I look back, there was a picture, I'm in it, but I remember the grand opening of Vintage, this was Friday night, setting up at Marina Middle School. I remember being like, is anybody gonna show up? I would tell myself, it doesn't matter who shows up. What matters is that you open the word of God and that you're faithful. I would say that that's really all that matters, and yet the truth of the matter is, some of you were there, you were there, you were there, and I would tell myself, it really doesn't matter, what matters is that he is here, amen? that our job is to be faithful, like that's it. That's our only job as a son or daughter of the king is to be faithful, why? Because great is his faithfulness, oh God. And so this summer, we're gonna take time to pause and to look back, and here's my prayer. If you were to tell your younger self something, here's my prayer, you would tell yourself that you're gonna blow it, you're gonna mess up, but God is faithful. And but God alone is good, and he is good all the time. All the time, he is good really, really good. I would tell myself that there will be struggles, gaps, pains, or today pits, that we would know that there are no setbacks in the kingdom, just setups for his glory and for your good. I would remind myself that there are no obstacles, just opportunities for the sake of the gospel, that there is, like we're learning in Romans, there is no bad news in the kingdom, just news he's using for his glory and for your good, because God is good. And so as we look at the life of Joseph, it's gonna be tempting to look at Joseph and say, man, Joseph's gotta overthrow the brokenness of the world, the evil world, no. Joseph just has to be faithful, that's it. That's all he has to do, just be faithful. 
God is the one that overthrows the pain of the world. Humans will try to screw it up. They will give you bad advice on what clothes to wear and how to smile at the camera. They will make you look silly years later. But God is with you and he is for you. He's with Joseph in the gap. And that the gap is actually a moment that God allows as an incubator for your growth. For his glory and for your growth. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis. Now, in Genesis, I I encourage you guys to, to read ahead. But here's the big idea where we're going. God wins. As bad as humanity is, as bad as some of those memories are, as you scroll through those camera, all throughout humanity, we will see a brokenness of God's children on full display. We'll see at times our lack of faith. We'll see our dark hearts. We'll see our evil intentions. They play on repeat. You ever watch the news? It's been going on for thousands of years, over and over and over again. But what man intends for evil, God transforms for good. And one of the best places I think we'll ever see that is in the life and the story of Joseph. And so this summer, we're going to pause. We're going to slow down. We're going to take a break from Romans and dive into the story in Genesis. We're going to see that Jesus is the hero, that he's working all things together for good to those who love him, that it's all for his glory, that no amount of sin, your sin, my sin, the world's sin, no amount of sin or brokenness, no intentions of evil can ever separate us from his love. Somebody say amen. Amen. That his better is better. And so we're coming out of Romans into the life of Joseph, and it's the same story on repeat, God Wins. Now, I encourage you before you came today to make sure you pre-read, remember? Because we're in Joseph, so it's a little different than verse by verse in Romans. We're looking at large chunks of narrative. And so I'm encouraging you to pre-read because there's no way we'll cover it all. And you want to talk about life group and see it on the podcast. But in Genesis 37 today, next week is 38 and 39, pre-read before you come back. But you're going to see two big chunks if you read the text. The first chunk is actually Joseph's dreams. Now, we're also going to see a whole lot of family drama. Anybody got family drama in the room? If you don't, you're lying to yourself and you just haven't talked to your spouse or your kids. Ask your kids, what's our family drama? They'll tell you, they're honest. There's family drama in the people of God. So that's the beginning of Genesis 37. We see some of the issues that are happening with the family of God. And then they start with Joseph's dreams. But then in the last half of 37, Joseph is living the dream. Now, see the pun there. Living the dream as he gets thrown in the pit. He's living the dream as he steps into the gap. He's literally living what God told him he was going to live, but suffering is an incubator for his glory and for your good. And so that changes our circumstances because we see that God is in them, that he's with us, that he's with us in those. Would you pray with me? Spirit of God, would you lead us as we open up your word today? Would you speak to us? Would you show us who you are first and foremost? Show us who we are and show us how you are wooing us and making us more like you through the person and the story of Joseph and how that relates to our story. Speak for your glory, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Now, as we look at the family drama, what you're gonna see is there's a heart condition. If you just Google the people of God and the the family line and you just Google, you get some awesome images. This is one of my favorites because it looks like a football play, doesn't it? Like that guy's running an out route. He's running the Z. Like, I love this picture. So if you just Google it, you'll see this. You'll see, oh, that's where the Moabites come from, the Ammonites, the Edomites. It also reminds me, 11 Sundays, still football season. So again, I'm just getting ready. So I love this picture. But this picture is helping us see the family drama of the people of God. I love that the Bible tells all the ugliness of humanity. I don't know about you, but when I often tell my family story, I tend to show the best pictures except for at church then I show you the real ones and they're ugly, right? But like, I I tend to create a story in such a way, God is always clear. When he inspires Moses to write Genesis, we actually get to see the underbelly. We get to see the dirty laundry. It's on display. Why? Because humans have issues, but God is good. 
So God gets the glory in the story. It's his story. So I, I do love this picture. It's the picture of Father Abraham. If you remember, Father Abraham started in Genesis 12. God goes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to pick you. I'm going to choose you to change the world. That through you, I'm going to set you apart. You're going to have more descendants than all the stars in the sky. He shares that through the covenant of chapter 15. He seals that with, with the covenant in chapter 17 with circumcision. But you do know that Abraham had issues, right? Like two times, Abraham tried to give his wife away to other men. I don't know how messed up your marriage is, but mine's not that bad. <laughs> right? And so we follow the story of the people of God. Not only that, but Sarah gets so impatient with God, his wife, that she actually gives Abraham away to another woman. And that, that leads to this divided household of waiting for the promised child of God, which was Isaac. And yet now we have the birth of Ishmael. Isaac comes in Genesis chapter 21, remember? And again, God moves, because why? Because great is his faithfulness, not ours. Ours actually is not very good in our track record. And in chapter 22, what does God tell Isaac and Abraham? He says, now go to the mountain and sacrifice my son. And what does Abraham do? He actually grows in his faith. This is encouragement, guys. He's trusting God more fully, and he takes Isaac up to the mountain, and God spares his life as a foreshadowing to the coming of the Son of God. Isaac then has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Maybe you remember the story. You can read about it in Genesis, but massive sibling rivalry. Anyone have sibling rivalry? Anyone want to just, just deceive, kill their brothers, anybody? We're going to get there in a moment. Right? There's this sibling rivalry that, again, I'm just convinced most people don't come to church and say, hey, look how broken and dysfunctional my family is. How about yours? This is the family of God. And so Isaac then leads to Jacob and Esau, and Jacob deceives his old blind father. Like, how twisted is that as a son? You got issues with your son? Is it that bad? Because this is bad. He deceives his father. He gets the blessing. We see this gone in chapter 25 through 29. And then in 29, Jacob's kind of upset. Why? Because then Jacob actually deals with the deceit of his uncle and actually doesn't get the woman that he really wanted to marry. Remember that story? Like, this is a perverted family. This is the family of God. In fact, as we get there to, to Jacob, and specifically later in, in the timeline, you'll read that God changed his name to Israel, and that's where we get the, the 12 tribes of Israel. So as you follow, there's another picture you follow down. Again, Jacob having four different wives. Leah was the one that he started with. Rachel's the one that he wanted, but because he was deceived, I mean, imagine that. Uncle, how dare you deceive me? He's like, it's who you are. It's how you got to here at this point. In fact, I love Genesis chapter 30, verse 22. You see the phrase, God remembered Rachel. And God gives Rachel a son. Remember, his, her first son was who? Do you remember? Joseph. It's part of why Joseph's the favored son. So as we come to Genesis 37, just please hear me. You kind of need to know all of the backstory. Just to get to this point right now, what you need to know about the family of God is every one of them had a massive heart issue. Every one of them struggled to trust God's faithfulness. Every one of them was not very good at being faithful. I don't share this to encourage you, but your family just got a whole lot better than they did when you started the morning, right? The dysfunction is real. And yet God is in the gap. God is in the pits. And this is the part of the story now that we pick up. We pick up Joseph, the favored son. And so turn with me to Genesis 37. Jacob, living in the land of his father, sojournings in the land of Canaan. Not only did Jacob's family have problems, but by the way, remember Jesus's did too? These are his forefathers. In fact, Jesus comes from this line. I love if you read the, the story in Matthew, you'll see the problems of Jesus's family, the dirty laundry, the rough family life. 
And so we meet Joseph, the favorite son at this point, verse two. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old. How many of you guys remember being 17? How many of you guys are 17? Right? Like, please hear my heart. When you're 17, I'm just convinced from my experience that my brain was not fully formed then. Right? Now, lest you think I'm picking on you, I don't think it's fully formed now either. So like, we're in this process. But Joseph is 17 at this point. If we're looking through his family pictures, we're pausing at 17. He's 17 years old. They're out pasturing the flock with his brothers. Joseph was a boy with the sons of Bilah and Zilpah and the father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them about their father. Joseph was a little tattletale. How many of you guys are younger siblings? I have a hard time with you people. I'm an oldest child. My wife's an oldest child. Like, like we talk with Braden. It's, it's hard. Why? Because you've got all these extra eyes that are telling mom and dad how jacked up you are. I'm like, I don't need anybody telling them that. I think they already know I come from their descendants. I think there's this pattern, this reality. Here's the problem. All of us would be tattletales we, if we were younger siblings. I wasn't one because I didn't have anyone to tell on. That's all it was. And so Joseph is the younger brother. He's the tattletale. He's the one that, again, is clearly loved in a unique way by his father. The text goes on in verse 3. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Why? Because he was a son of his old age. That was the woman that he wanted to marry, that uncle deceived him from, and it was the firstborn. And he made him a robe of many colors. Now, again, I wanted to do a first-person sermon for you guys today and, like, wear my robe and everything, but... I just couldn't find one, but, but, but here's the truth of the matter. I think sometimes we get confused what this robe is. I do think there's many colors, but even more significant than the many colors on the robe was actually the dimensions of it. The robe would have been a long robe. The robe would have been having long sleeves. It was not a robe that the other brothers wore. The other brothers wore smaller robes that would probably cut at the knees. Why? So that you could run. So you could be a shepherd. So you could work in the field. They had long sleeves for this robe, but everyone else had short sleeves. Why? Because you wanted to work in the harvest. You wanted to actually do labor. I'm convinced Joseph, and there's no shade here at all, but I'm convinced Joseph was one of those guys that probably got pedicures and manicures. <laughs> he had a long robe. He didn't have to work. He had people that had short robes. Who were they? They were his brothers. Like no wonder there was issues within their family. It wasn't about the color. It was about what the robe stood for. The robe stood for the reality that Joseph didn't have to work hard because his brothers did. I don't know about you, but that's going to ruin your family dynamic, right? And so that's the context that we're reading here. The context is that Joseph has this robe of many colors. And so when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, you're like, my kids say all the time, like, who is your favorite? I do. I have a favorite, oldest son, youngest son, and only daughter. But I don't know if that was ever said by Joseph's dad. There was a distinction between them. He had a favor and the brothers knew it and they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So again, when your kids are fighting driving home from church today, just remember, it's not as bad as it could be. They're fighting. That's normal. You know what else is normal? Is brothers and sisters hating each other. They don't know what they're saying. It's just all they can say. They're trying to get their words out. I hate you. But why is that normal? Because in the human condition, when we see other people, we always want what they have, always. It doesn't matter if what they have is better, they just want what we have and what they have, we want. And so that's the human condition and it always, always, always leads to hate. That's how verse four ends. Next paragraph, verse five. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. They hated him before the dream. 
Now they hate him even more. And he said to them, hear this, I have dreamed. Now again, I wanna pause for a moment. When he says, I have dreamed, this is not 17-year-old Joseph going, man, I have these dreams of the future. I'm dreaming of my wife. I'm dreaming of my future job. It says, I have a dream. Like it came at me. It went to me. I believe still to this day that God does speak through dreams. Now it's important that you actually check your dreams with scripture because I think God can speak through dreams, but I know he speaks through his word. And so it's important. But these dreams that Joseph had, please hear me as we read the text. These are dreams from God for him and for others. These are dreams that I don't think are his dreams. He didn't have dreams that was like, man, this is what I, I hope the future. He says, I went to bed one day and this is what I experienced. I believe this is the intentions of God, the plans of God, the heart of God. And so please hear me. If you want God to speak through your dreams, I have prayed, I've asked for that, but don't miss this. I know he's speaking every day, I open his word. And so check any of your dreams against the word of God because this is what we know is actually from him and not just bad pizza from last night, okay? Because I don't know about you, but my heart is deceitful as is ours. So we gotta be clear. And so God, the father of dreams, the father of all creation, the father of Joseph, God gives him a dream. He says, I had this dream. Now, that being said, I don't think it's always helpful to say everything that God is doing in your life. I think there's something called discernment and wisdom, which for what it's worth, most 17 year olds don't have a lot of. They got dreams and they're gonna tell you about it. God has a dream and he speaks it into the life of Joseph. Behold, here's the dream. We were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose, and it stood upright, and your sheaf gathered around it and bowed down to the sheaf. Now, every 17-year-old, and by 17, I mean between 17 and 7D, you should always ask yourself this question, is what I'm gonna say helpful or is it hurtful? That will take away a lot of your family issues. <laughs> is this helpful or is this hurtful? I don't think Joseph asked that question yet. He said, guys, this was amazing. Here's what happened. I had this dream and my guy was big and your guy was bowing down. And at that point, his brother said to him, are you kidding me? Now, I think Moses always records bad language or, or the bad situation. I'm just convinced there was some harsh language from brothers to Joseph. Are you serious? You already know we hate you. And now you're going to tell me about this dream. I don't even care if it's from God. I just hate you. And so he tells them this dream that you're gonna reign over us. And so they hated him. So verse four ends in hate, verse eight ends in hate. It is the human condition. Now pay attention, they, they, they hate him. We're gonna see what that leads to. Pressing on to verse nine, I'm just convinced Joseph needs some OST. Remember OST for us is ongoing spiritual transformation. It's just really hard to say in the sermon when I'm talking too fast. Ongoing spiritual, Joseph needs to ask that question, is this helpful or is this hurtful? Joseph needs to slow down a little. Joseph either has really, really low EQ or he's a jerk. It's somewhere in between. We're not studying this to be like Joseph. We wanna see Jesus through Joseph. We wanna see Jesus through us. And Joseph needs to grow up. It's true of all of us. Definitely true of 17 year old version of Jesus. Let's be of Joseph. Let's be like Jesus. Now sidebar real quick as we read this. As we see this text here, what we all need is we need spiritual fathers and mothers that come into our life and say, hey, that wasn't helpful, that was hurtful. Hey, this isn't a good time. That's part of what it means as a dad. A dad sometimes doesn't need, what our kids need from us as dads is not everything's awesome and you're awesome. What our kids need from us is our dads to come and say, hey, knock it off. Trust God. That's the role of dad. And so in this context, he shares this new dream, verse nine. Then he dreamed another dream and he told them to his brothers and he said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, the stars were bowing down. Now pay attention to what happens here. But when he told it, it was father and his brothers, his father rebuked him. 
His father had, hey, Joseph, I know that you're special. I know your mama and I know your spiritual father. I know you're special. I know God has a plan. This is a hurtful comment. Oh, by the way, are you kidding me? Me and mom are also going to bow down to you? Now, I love what happens here. And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father, who knows that God's hand is on him, his father says, I'm going to hold these in my heart. I don't know exactly what's happening here, but it's beyond Joseph. God has an intention. In fact, if you read forward to the end of the book from Genesis to Revelation chapter 12, you remember you reread this in our series a couple years ago, that the sun, the moon, the stars, they also will bow down to who? To Jesus. They will bow down to God as he is Lord of the people of Israel. And so we need spiritual fathers. We need spiritual mothers that come and tell us there's nothing wrong with being gifted. The fact that you are here today means that you are gifted. You know that? Like you have been gifted with breath in your lungs right now. You've been gifted with time because you're here. You've been gifted with treasure. You live in America, California, which at least last week had the best weather ever. Next week, we're going back to the surface of the sun. But you've been gifted with time. You've been gifted with treasure. You've been gifted with talent. I loved, one of the highlights for me last week at base camp was the amount of people that took time off of work to invest in kids they didn't even know. I love that. There's nothing wrong with being gifted. Dad didn't need to come to Joseph and say, hey, I'm arguing with your dream. The dream came from God, just like all of your gifts do. Your call, church, then, is to steward your gifts. It's to steward your time, your treasure, your talent, to use them for his glory and for other people's good. By the way, if Joseph told his brothers, hey, this is going to happen, but everything I do in my life is going to be for your good, I think the brothers would have received the dream differently. The brothers would have said, okay, I don't know what God's doing, but God's the one in charge. And so church, please hear me. Don't apologize for your gifts. Steward them. Steward your sports talent. Steward your financial talent. Steward your time with your babies. Steward your time with your neighbors. They're gifts that God has given you. Okay, we'll go back to the sermon. Sorry, that was just something I needed to say. Verse 12. We go to the second part. There's the sale of Joseph. And I want us to see as this starts to happen, there's a lot of foreshadowing, I think, to the person of Jesus. We're not here as a church to worship Joseph. We see Jesus through Joseph in the same way that I see Jesus through you. And so let's pay attention to that as we look at this, the suffering servant, that Joseph is not the hero. He needs to grow just like you and me, but Jesus actually is. Here's what verse 12 says. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, Jacob, father, says to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I'm gonna send you. Now Joseph knows his role. He's the spy boy, right? Like he knows you're gonna go check on them. Now pay attention also, maybe Joseph just fully recognizes that Shechem in Genesis 34, if you read backwards and if you've pre-read, you'll see that Shechem is one of the, the, the empire towns. It seduces you with worldly passions and pleasures. And so maybe dad is saying, hey, go check on them that they're not settling for less than Shechem. Go check on them that they're doing okay. Go, go check on them, see if it's well with your brothers and bring me the word. And so he sends him to the Valley of Hebron and they came to Shechem. Keep reading now in verse 15. And a man found him wandering in the fields and he comes to him and he says, hey, what are you seeking? And he says, I'm seeking my brothers. He said, tell me where they went. And the man said, hey, they've left. They left Shechem, they went to Dotham. Here's a map that you can see. And within this map, you'll actually see that we come down from Hebron up to Shechem. And so about 10 to 15 miles away now is Dotham. And so Joseph gets the assignment. He goes to Shechem. Shechem's not there. The boys aren't there. They says, go away to Dotham. And so Joseph went after his brothers and he found them in Dotham. And now as he comes to Dotham, the commentators say it's very clear that somehow the brothers recognize him. The text says they saw him from afar, whether someone from Shechem told them that he was coming, that they were out looking. 
Somehow the brothers see that Joseph is coming. They see him from afar and he came near to them and they conspired against him to kill him. Now I want to pause for a moment because I've heard my kids say things like, I'm going to kill you. Have you ever said that to your brother or sister before? If not, you're probably lying. Like that's part of what it means to be the family of God, right? You're like, oh, I'm so mad at you. Ah, here's the difference. In this moment, those weren't just words. Those were promises. Those weren't just empty threats. Those were really them saying, we're so tired of this boy and what he's done to us. Here comes the dreamer. Now pay attention when he says the dreamer. It means so much. I want you to focus here on, they are opposing not just the dreams of Joseph, but these are the words and the provisions of God. But they are opposing the plans of God. Here comes the dreamer. Now, could Joseph have done a better job being a more humble follower of God? Yes. But they're opposing the purposes and the attentions of God at this point. Come now, let's kill him. Let's throw him into the pits. They have a predetermined, manufactured, premeditated plan here that are against the plans of God. The deep depravity of our heart is humanity is evil. It's evil. And so they have this plan. They said, let's throw him in the pit. And then we're going to say this fierce animal devoured him. And we're going to see what become of his dreams now. Now what's he going to do? And so they oppose the plans of God, but Reuben. I love this part of the text here. I don't know about you, but one out of the 10 of the brothers aren't going to try to kill him. I don't know if you have 10 kids or not, but one out of 10, let's shoot for better vintage, okay? But one out of 10 kids here is like, no, 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 this is bad. This opposes the plans and the purposes of God. Now, before you give Reuben too much credit, he is the older brother, but go back and read Genesis 35. That boy's got deep issues. But here's the good news. Glory be to God that you and I are not judged based on our junior high pictures or our senior pictures or the issues in our worst moments. Genesis 35 was a bad moment for Reuben, but Genesis 37 is a good moment. It reminds every one of us that God is with us, he's for us, and we can repent and we can grow. Is that good news? Yeah. So Reuben is repenting, he's growing. He says, guys, this is not good. We should not do this to our brother. Now, let's not take his life. Now, all that being said, I do feel like Reuben falls short. What he should have said is, no, this is the dumbest idea you've ever had. We should never do this. And yet there's a people pleaser, I'm convinced, in all of us that Reuben's like, this is dumb and this is bad, but let's just do a little less bad. No, guys, we want to cut off anything in our life that's leading us to sin. Anything that causes us to settle for less. The text goes on. Reuben says, don't, don't do this. Let's not take his life and Reuben then said to them, shed no blood, throw him into the pit in the wilderness. Do not lay a hand on him. He should have said, this is all terrible. Let's stop that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. Pay attention to some of the allusions to Jesus. Jesus was stripped. They took his robe off him. They, they, they sold the things that were Jesus at the crucifixion. The Jesus takes off his robe of righteousness and he puts it on you and me who are actually crucifying him. They stripped Joseph of his robe and the robe of many colors that he wore, that Jesus was the son of God, God himself. And they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water. What does Jesus say? One of his seven phrases on Good Friday. I am what? Thirsty. I'm thirsty. I think there's some illusions here that we can see Jesus. And then they sit down and they eat next to the pit. What's coming out of the pit? Like that's how sick this family is that they beat up their brother, they throw him in the pit, they want to kill him, and then they just sit down and have a party right next to him. Like, that is messed up, people. That's wrong. 
I read one guy that wrote this. He said that the physicist could compute the exact time that would be required for Christ to go 25 yards to the eardrums of the brothers as they're sitting there having a party. Remember, at the cross, they're having parties, they're selling, they're casting lots. The physicist could figure out what it needed to go from the 25 yards to the brothers' eardrums, but it actually took 22 years for that cry to go from their eardrums to their hearts. The issue in every broken family is a heart issue. It's true in your family, it's true in my family, it's true in the family of God. It's a heart issue, and these boys' hearts are dark. They sit down and they eat, and it reminds us of the suffering servant Jesus in Isaiah 53 who's gonna come and overcome the pit that we all put ourselves in. Looking up, they saw this caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, myrrh on their way carrying down to Egypt. Now, now pay attention here. Remember the Ishmaelites. Remember Isaac and who? Ishmael. Distant, distant relatives four generations later. And then Judah, who, by the way, if you want to be encouraged in our summer series, just pay attention. Reuben's growing in his OST. Judah probably grows the most. Of all the brothers, it seems like Judah is growing the most in his journey with God as Yahweh and God as a good father. It's good news. Judah's the line in which Jesus is going to come from. This isn't one of the good points of Judah's life. Judah then says this to his brothers, guys, what profit if we just kill him? We don't make any money and conceal his blood. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother of our own flesh. Like, I heard what Reuben said. Now I've twisted it to be for my gain. I heard what said, and his brothers listened to him, and the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, just like Christ was lifted up. They drew Joseph up, they lifted him out of the pit, and they sold the Ishmaelites, not for 30, like Jesus, pieces of shekels, but for 20. And then Joseph goes to Egypt. Now, just remember Egypt, we're going to get there in a moment. But that's where God is taking him through the caravan of the Ishmaelites, that God is working out in all of these details. When Reuben then returned to the pit, he saw that Joseph was not in the pit. He tears his clothes. He's like, guys, I just went away for one minute and you did what I told you not to do. Did you kill him? What did you do? What did you do? I mean, this is his older brother coming back saying, I was very specific. He tears his clothes. He returns and he said, the boy is gone. Where shall I go now? And they took Joseph's robe. They slaughtered. They executed their plan. They slaughtered the goat. They dipped the, road, the blood. And then they sat in the robe with many colors and they brought it to the father and they said this, this is so wrong. They said, we don't know what happened. But do you ever do that? You're like, I, I don't know what happened. I know what happened, you happened. That's what happened. Dad, we, we don't know what happened. We, we found this, please identify if this is your son's robe or not. Guys, you hate this robe. You know exactly what this robe looks like. You've tried to steal this robe when he was sleeping. Pay attention here. The text goes on then in verse 33 and he, dad, identifies it. He says, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal must have devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And then Jacob tears his garments. He puts sackcloth on his loins and he mourns for his son. Verse 35 gets worse. 35, they go, dad, we're so sorry. This must be so hard for you. We can't imagine what it would feel like. You are the ones that took my son from me. You are lying to my face. You're pretending to mourn with me. That's a special kind of sick that humanity has. On some level, I'm never amazed by the depth of depravity of humans anymore. Read the book, watch the news. This is real, but he refused to be comforted by his kids. He said, no, I'm gonna go down to Sheol for my son and I'm gonna mourn and thus the father wept for him. Now, my favorite verse in this whole chapter is actually verse 36. Here's verse 36, meanwhile. Say the word meanwhile. meanwhile. It's just not a word I ever use. <laughs> meanwhile, back at the ranch, right? Like, I just don't talk that way, but I'm so glad Moses did. 
Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt. Remember we said the word Egypt earlier. I love the way John Piper says it. He says, God is doing 10,000 things in your life right now, and you know three of them. That's it. But he's doing 10, meanwhile, God is working. Now you gotta remember what Egypt is. Egypt has been a powerful empire for like a thousand years at this point. The pyramids are already built. The Sphinx is already there. Like in this context, what we see is we see this power of Egypt. And yet meanwhile, God is doing something to restore his people to a power that they didn't earn, that they don't deserve, and God's gonna use. How is God gonna get them to Egypt? Through the sin of the brothers. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of your pits, in the midst of your gaps, there is a power of God that you're going to be invited into. And it might even be a power of the empire of Egypt. It's a power that God has planned for his glory and not just for your good, but that through you, remember what I told great, great grandfather Abraham, that through you, you would bless my people and then the world. Meanwhile, There are things happening right now that you feel like are happening at you. Please don't misunderstand. God is good. And all the time, don't miss that. And they can't just be words on our mouth or on a t-shirt. They have to be words on our heart. We gotta believe this vintage. And the question in this moment in the pit is do we trust meanwhile? Meanwhile, while all of this is taking place, do we trust that God is good, that there's a power that he's preparing and inviting us into for his glory and for our good? And so what are the implications for us today? I think the biggest one is God. What are you inviting me into today? How do we be the kinds of people that when we're thrown in the pit on some level, we laugh a little bit? Why? Because we're like, I don't know what God's doing, but this is going to be cool. I don't know how God's doing it. It's why we put these stickers on our mugs. We put on the back of our phone case. It's why we try to call ourselves to actually create in us not only clean hearts as we repent of our sin, but anticipating hearts for what's coming tomorrow. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? There's more stickers at the Connect card we ran out. I want to encourage you to ask yourself that question. God, what are you inviting me into? The first implication is simply this. God wastes what? Nothing. God wastes nothing that his story is moving forward. Go look at history past. My prayer is it has implications for your present, that his story is moving forward and it's on display and it will include some really bad, really ugly, really tough, lots of family drama moments. But his story is on full display. Here's my prayer. May our faith muscles May we establish this this faith that is led by Christ. It's the Spirit's power in us so that we become the kinds of people that respond to the pits in our life with like, okay, God, what's next? I've just found it changed my life because he is faithful. I struggle like you with faithfulness. Like all of Joseph's brothers, like Joseph. I struggle to believe that God's better is better. But if we can put our faith not in man, but in Christ, when the pits come and they will, then we remember that we've already overcome because it's Christ who's in us, it's Christ who's for us. And so that's my prayer for you this summer, that as we look back on the past faithfulness of God to Joseph, to you, that you'd also start to see that it's going to be through you. That includes cancer. That includes broken marriages. That includes financial trials, tribulations. That includes health crises because God wastes nothing. Second implication is simply this, that this kind of faith 
It actually frees you and I up to never cover up. I don't know about you, but remember the first garden when Adam and Eve sinned and they discover they're naked? They were already naked. What do they do in that first garden? You remember? They cover up. They cover themselves. They hide in shame and embarrassment. Part of why we wear these desperate dependent t-shirts at Vintage so often is because I want us all to remember, we already know you're desperate and dependent. The question is, do we, do you? Do you and I recognize that we don't have to cover up our sin? Jesus came to conquer our sin. Now that doesn't mean we settle for sin. It doesn't mean that we accept it, we hate it. If there's anything in us that is not of the Lord, we wanna put a death to that and a life and a space for Christ. We put a death to our sin, but we don't hide from him who makes us right. We run to him as a good father. Remember the story of the prodigal? The prodigal sons, it's the father that is coming out, it feels like daily, looking for his son to return. And then in the text, he picks up his robe. Why? Because the father had a long robe. And he runs to the son. So whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever sin right now, you're like, man, I am so broken. I have, I have settled for so much drama. I have settled for so many lesser joys. I'm like, first of all, it sounds like you fit in Genesis. And second of all, God's not done with you. Run to him. Repent of your sin and your son for less and run to him because we don't fool anybody when we hide and we pretend that we're not broken. Actually, we get the grace of God. When we run to him, the father gets the glory and we get the grace. And today is a good day. Then we've got four baptisms at third service. We had two at first service. We don't have any today, but I just want to show you them really quickly. These are some baptism pictures from first service. And within baptism, we got to hear these stories specifically of Kobe and Allie who said, meanwhile, Allie's story is she was in Canada five years ago. And five years ago, she said, I don't know what God's doing. I'm not a church person. I don't know what, who God is. I'm trying to figure him out. And she met with a friend and the friend said, you got to get in a community of faith. And then COVID happened and the whole world shut down. Meanwhile, so many people are like, COVID was the worst thing ever. I don't know about you guys, but Allie came to faith through COVID. Because meanwhile, God was doing something that led her to California. She had no idea she was going to be here. No idea she was going to be our young adult group. No idea what God was doing, but that's okay. We don't need to know what the future holds, just who holds it. And then our job is just to be faithful. Not even necessarily to overcome the pit, but to realize that Jesus is with us in it that he's doing something. So it was actually through COVID and moving here that Allie got connected with disciplers and sons and daughters of the king. And she came to faith and gave her life to Jesus in the first service. She proclaimed that faith. Meanwhile, amen? Not just Allie, but Kobe, similar story, but different. He, he grew up giving his life to Christ at a younger age, saying he was a Christian until he actually went to a, a class and it was a professor that really blew up his faith. I don't know about you, you ever had parents that as a mom or dad and your kids throw their faith and they get the atheist professor and you're like, oh my gosh, the world's going to end. Nope. Meanwhile, while all these things are working against them, God is doing something for his glory. And so yeah, his faith got rocked during that season and he started to fight for his joy and figure out what is faith. He started to ask good questions. And I think through that, meanwhile, he actually came to faith. And so today we celebrated the baptism of Kobe and of Ali, who said, I have decided he got the throne of my heart because when we don't hide from our sin, when we run to him, he gets the glory and we get the grace, amen? And so today we celebrate Egypt moments. We celebrate moments of our life that we don't know what God is doing, but we do know that God is good. And so church, we celebrate him today. Would you stand with us as we proclaim the story of God through the people of God and through the story of Egypt. Let's worship him.